the first degree. First degree. First degree. First degree. First degree. First degree. The first degree. These things are supposed to happen in movies, not in real life. Hey guys, welcome to The First Degree, the true crime podcast that you might end up on. My name is Jack Vanek. I'm sitting across from Alexis Linkletter and next to Billy Jensen. He just says he has good hair. You do have good hair. That's one of the things I I have. I have good hair and I have decent skin because I stay out of the sun, so... That's because you'll, you you'll, you'll burst, like into, you'll burst yeah. into flames if you I, I will burst into flames. That is correct. But enough about me. <laughs> <laughs> Today is happy National Fig Newton Day. Okay, there's womp, so many. Womp. Hang on. Will you hang that? on? Because I always lead up to it. Okay. You do, okay, you have to start you with like the shitty one. Yes. I think he actually probably thinks that's the best one. No, I do not. No, like, I do Wait not. Wait a second. I have better ones. Happy Prohibition Remembrance Day. No. Which we're certainly celebrating right now. Don't hate it. And... The most important one is happy appreciate a dragon day. How do they how do they differentiate between appreciate something day or national different day? You know what? Those are it reminds days. me of the story in 2007 when okay. the when a Komodo dragon actually killed an 8-year-old boy in the first fatal attack on a human by one of the giant lizards in 33 years it happened in Indonesia. What do we think about okay, the fact that Billy says herb I know and also human and huge. That's <laughs> You're my very human Bernie and Sanders. Huge. Yeah. That's my accent. Where are you from? I'm from Long Island. Me too. Yeah, but you're from the rich part of Long Island, though. (laughs) That's true. (laughs) Just kidding. Um, Is human, is that a New York thing? Yeah, it is kind of. I've I've always had that, though. But then where does herb come from? That's the opposite (laughs) of that. That was me just messing with you guys. (laughs) You being pretentious and douchey. Got it, got it. I like National Hot and Spicy Food Day. And also, my favorite day, probably, National Nothing Day. Oh my god! Isn't that nice? That is Jack's day. Yes. J- Nat- it, when's National Apathy Day? <laughs> Probably today. National Probably today. Day. Probably today. National Cease to Exist Day. Right. On January eighth, twenty eleven, U.S. Representative Gabrielle Giffords held a constituent meeting at a Safeway supermarket parking lot in Casas Adobes, Arizona. The meeting, called Congress on Your Corner was in the parking lot, as I said, of this Safeway. And she was trying to do this neighborhood thing because she is originally from this place. So she's trying to familiarize herself with the people in the area. So the community outreach event garnered a large turnout. It was going really well until a man drew a pistol and shot Gabrielle Giffords in the head before proceeding to fire on many other people who were there. And at the end of it all, 20 people were shot, six were dead, how did this all happen and why did this all happen? So we're going to get to the bottom of this, but let's start setting the picture of what was going on in this town near Tucson. Now, this is dark sky country. The light pollution ordinances favor astronomical observatories on the peaks. You can see the stars really nicely, but it's also one of the few. He's just really trying to make Arizona seem like it's cool. It is beautiful. It is beautiful. I know. But. It is a now, now let's go to the bad part of Arizona. I remember this very, very well because in 2010 and 2011, SB 1070 was a huge issue. Now, SB 1070 was this legislation that said that cops were able to stop anyone who they thought was an illegal immigrant and ask them for papers, mm-hmm. which is insane to do in America. Yeah. It went into effect in June of 2010. And she was against it, uh, Gabrielle Giffords, but she wasn't like a completely liberal open borders type. She was considered a blue dog, which is she was kind of 
you know, she actually uh, voted against handgun control in the home in one point. I mean, she was she wasn't this uh, somebody that was like a totally against all of the things that um, that conservatives wanted. Mm-hmm. But she was there somewhere and in the middle. she was somewhere. She was sort of somewhere in the middle. And her I guess it was her county. Uh, or her constituency was up against the border. So she was one of those border representatives. Mm -hmm. And so I bring up SB 1070 because it was a very hot time. It was hot in the sense of people were angry. There was a lot of politics. It's kind of like what's going on now, what went on last year Mm -hmm. with racial stuff. All that stuff was happening in Arizona back then. Mm -hmm. Arizona was just way ahead of the curve. Yeah, and even you know the the public enemy song. By the time I get to Arizona, which was happened you know twenty years before this, very much alive now, but really alive back in 2010, 2011. Well, right. And also what you're saying, she has an office there in Tucson, and she had rocks thrown through her windows. She was facing a lot of anger. Um, people were wearing guns at town hall meetings. She was going to speak at, and just getting a ton of shit from people in the community who didn't. See yeah. eye to eye with her. And Sa- Sarah Palin, uh, her political action committee had had identified her district as the one that they need is one of the ones that they needed seat, to overthrow. Seat. Exactly. Mm-hmm. A seat that they needed to get because of what she was like what she seat, was about. Yep. Essentially. Mm-hmm. Totally. Could you imagine hating something so much and someone so much that you're gonna go throw a rock nope. through their window? Too lazy to be crazy. As I quote one of Jacqueline's <laughs> shirts, it's true. too lazy to be it's crazy. like insane. People You've just, never thrown a rock through an, a boyfriend or an ex-boyfriend. No, I just number one, I get disgusted by my ex. The second I have, there's a flip in my mind that just, just flips off. right on, and I am grossed out. Also, don't care. I'm a respectable person. Why would I lower myself? Are you kidding? Okay. So, in the weeks leading up to the meeting, residents in the area received recorded invitations from Gabrielle Giffords. They said, "Come meet me tomorrow at the Safeway down." on in a road giffords wanted to talk to the people in her hometown and her staff arrived at the safeway in the morning of the event and began setting up for the large crowd that they were expecting right and this was a relatively large event i'm sure they had it coordinated with the safeway and you know they had trucks unloading chairs and this was like a mini rally it's a mini rally exactly and congress seats are really important it's 10, 10 a.m., and everything just seems normal. Everyone's prepping. Gabrielle's looking forward to speaking to the residents of her hometown. And a man walks up to her, and this man takes out a Glock and shoots her in the head. Of course, panic breaks out. She crumples down to the concrete. There's a loud pop, another pop, then another. And it sounded like fireworks, is how it's explained by those who were there. Then there were another series of pops. And the events in front of the grocery store unfolded so quickly that those who were there barely understood what was happening before it was over. And the true sequence of events can be found only amongst the shattered memories of these people who are traumatized in angles of surveillance cameras in the grocery store parking lot. And everyone's experience that day was blurred by the chaos and the trauma of all of those moments because you try to piece together chronological events mm-hmm. and it's impossible. I right. mean... There were a million people there, and no one can really determine a second-by-second account. But when this gunfire did ring out, 30-year-old Gabe Zimmerman, who was Gifford's community outreach director on staff, ran towards Giffords, who appeared to be the target of an assassination attempt. Giffords was gravely wounded and survived, but Gabe Zimmerman, as he was trying to save her and shield her from gunfire, was also shot, and he died on scene. 
Then the gunman turned to a line of people who were waiting to enter the event and squeezed the trigger 31 more times. U.S. District Judge John Roll, who was 63, was shot after Giffords, possibly as he tried to push another bystander out of danger. He fell to the ground and died at the scene. Gifford staffer Ron Barber was shot in the thigh and face. Dorwin Stoddard, 76, who was talking with Giffords when the shooting began, tried to protect his wife, Mavenel Starvard, who was 75. She was shot, but her husband had managed to save her, but he died at the scene. George Morris, 76, a retired Marine, tried to protect his wife, Dorothy, who was 76. He was shot twice but survived, but Dorothy died at the scene. And there are even more casualties than that. Phyllis Schneck, 79, was also shot and died. Christina Taylor Green, who is it's the saddest casualty of this, was only nine years old. She wanted to become the first female to play Major League Baseball. She was shot through the chest and died. Susan Hillman, who was 58, tried to shield Christina Taylor with her own body, and she was also shot three times. So then the gunman started firing to the line of people, and the shooting finally stopped when he ran out of ammunition. The first-degree connection, in a glimpse into the effects of this horrible tragedy, we have a really dear friend of Gabe Zimmerman. Hi, my name is Elizabeth, and one of my friends in college was Gabe Zimmerman, who was killed in the Tucson shooting at the Gabby Giffords event, and he was her congressional aide. So I heard about the shooting when I turned on the television and I was watching CNN and they were doing a breaking news story about the shooting. And I remember sitting there because I didn't know at that point that Gabe worked for Gabby. So I was watching this whole thing unfold, just horrified at what had happened and how terrible it was that these people had died. And... I remember distinctly thinking, God, I can't imagine what this is going to be like for the victim's families and friends. And then I remember seeing Gabe's picture flash up on the screen a couple hours later. And one of my friends from college called me on the phone and she honestly doesn't even remember making that phone call. But she called me on the phone to say that that it was confirmed that, that Gabe had been killed. I remember sitting in my room and I couldn't look away from the television because I couldn't quite figure out what else to do. And I drove to my friend's house and we just sat there and we talked about Gabe and we cried a lot. And it was a very surreal, it was a very surreal experience. Gabe had incredible integrity as a person. He wanted to help people, probably why he got into the work that he was in as a congressional aide. He just was the kind of person that would do anything for anybody without hesitation, without thinking about it. He just wanted to help people. As the gunman was attempting to reload his firearm, he was tackled by some bystanders. He was still holding the gun, fighting to reload. The gun hit the concrete for a second and fell from the shooter's grasp. You could hear people screaming, get the gun. And the shooter grabbed the extra magazine and a few additional men rushed the shooter. One guy pushed his knee into the shooter's neck and held his left arm back, pulling it. Someone grabbed the gun, the shooting stopped. So there was a line of wounded people that were stretched back across from where the shooter was pinned down. Several people were obviously already dead and Giffords was lying on the ground, bleeding near her. A young girl lay motionless. It was Christina, um, that Jack mentioned. 
And the uninjured rose to their feet and began tending to the wounded as the gunmen remained restrained as they waited for police to arrive at the scene. And you see this with mass shooters a lot. That's the time that you can actually tackle them is when they're reloading. Right. You saw it with the Long Island Railroad Massacre, Colin mm-hmm. Ferguson. He starts reloading. He's actually going back to his bag because he stopped. And then that's when you tackle him. And this is the reason, the main reason why gun control advocates want less bullets in the clips. It's because of this. Bottom line. Yeah. And it makes sense. Mm-hmm. You only need one to defend yourself. Yep. Or two to scare, you know. I'm fine with six. Give him a six shooter and that's fine. All guns scare me. So this isn't, oh, a, poli- this isn't a political me. thing. They can do a lot of damage. They're scary. And used properly, I, I'm fine with it. Keep your guns. It's in our constitution. It's just automatic. It's a little no scary. Need. Yeah, no it's a little scary. Need. All right, let's talk about the youngest of these victims for a second. So she was nine years old, Christina Taylor Green. She was born on September 11, 2001, and she appeared in the book Faces of Hope, Babies Born on 9-11. She was the granddaughter of former Major League Baseball player and manager Dallas Green, who's actually a really cool guy, great guy, a great baseball guy, uh, was in the Mets organization, was in the Phillies organization, and was the second cousin of actress uh, Sophia Bush. And she was brought to the meeting by a neighbor named Susan Heilman. And Susan brought her there because Christina was really interested in government. She was a nine-year-old girl. She was really interested in government. And she actually was already an elected official. She was on the student council at the Mesa Verde Elementary School. And she was really excited to meet the congresswoman. Yeah. And I was reading that in the car, they were talking about... So Susan... um invited the her all of the neighbors including christina's mom and christina's mom's like no you take her we can't go oh my god and in the car i guess christina was asked like she susan was like what do you want to ask gabrielle gifford she's like i don't know i'm just excited to meet her it's horrifying that that something like this could happen and um gabrielle was injured severely i mean she was shot in the head and she was incredibly lucky to live and she was in the hospital and in critical condition, but the doctors were optimistic as she remained in recovery. They had the memorial in Tucson, and I flew out to Tucson. I had a very strange experience in the bathroom because uh, Chris John Amanpour was in the bathroom uh, when I got off the plane and, and went to use the bathroom, and I love her, and I was... It was a very bizarre encounter speaking to this woman uh, who was there to cover all of these memorials in Tucson. A bunch of us from college all went out to Tucson. We went to the memorial. Gabby Giffords was not able to make it. Obviously, she was still in the hospital, but Ron Barber, who ended up taking Gabby's seat when she had to step down, he got himself released from the hospital just to come and speak at Gabe's memorial. He'd been shot, I think, a couple times. Uh, he was next to Gabby, and he told us something that we hadn't heard that was not being talked about in the news, which was the fact that Gabe wasn't out there when the shooting started. Um, he was in perfect safety further away, talking to people, I think, just inside the store or somewhere around there. And that when the shooting happened, he left safety to go run to Gabby and Ron Barber. So he was shot in the head and he fell down in between Gabby and Ron. 
when we heard that, I mean, it was the kind of thing of like, of course he went to go help people. He went to go try to help, which was the person that he was. So Ron was in a wheelchair. He could not have been more loving to Gabe in his speech at the memorial. So Gabrielle, once the shooting started, she was the first one that was shot and she has these horrible injuries. But Gabe, who's the connection to our first degree, he actually wasn't outside. He was inside. He was in the safety of the store. Essentially, what we're hearing here is that Gabe Zimmerman died trying to protect Gabrielle Giffords. So this guy really, really is a hero. So Gabe Zimmerman was the community outreach director for Giffords and a member of Giffords staff since 2006. He was the first congressional staffer to ever be killed in the line of duty. Okay, so Gabe is a hero. Let's get back to the scene and see where we are with what is happening. They have the shooter restrained. So as he was arrested, he says, I plead the fifth as he's taken into custody. And I was actually working at a newspaper in Phoenix at the time. And I remember this day very well because I was at my son's football game and I got an alert uh, from, I believe it was NPR, saying that there was a shoot mass shooting. And I started calling all of my reporters. We got to get on this. And we were all scrambling to get the shooter's name because we wanted to see if it was connected to this pro-gun hardline border groups that were all over Arizona because of this SB 1070 thing. That was where our heads went. And it's a, it was a natural reaction when you hear that a Democratic congresswoman is shot uh, in a border town, you're thinking mm-hmm. the worst. So we're, I remember us scrambling and like waiting for the name. A name comes out and it's a wrong name. And then there was a misspelling of the name. And it, there, was a, there was a lot of chaos going on, which happens a lot whenever you have you know, breaking news about a shooting. There is a photograph taken by the Pima County Sheriff's Office forensic unit. It was released to the media and it was published on the front pages nationwide. And it's one of the scariest mugshots you'll see. His expression in the photo is smirking and creepy and his eyes with hollow eyes ablaze. I mean, he, he is just, he looks like uncle Fester, but like a really happy uncle Fester, happy slash demented uncle Fester. If you look at pictures of him from right before he had long hair. Yeah. Yeah. No, he had like a freshly shaved head and he, he was sort of like a normal guy. And I remember as soon as we got the name and his name, he was identified as 22 year old Jared Lee Loughner. Eyewitnesses say Lofter was coldly detached as he shot the congresswoman and victim after victim. He was very young, dressed in, in dark navy sweats, and he just began shooting, and there was a sense of, of unreality. I have no reason to believe that the, the, the person was uh, insane. Uh, was he unstable? I would agree with that. His neighbors, Vic and Amelia Cruz, were horrified. I thought it was a, a, just a total disgrace. Well, I mean, especially to for the nine-year-old child, that was a twenty-two-year-old kid just threw his life away and took how many with him? I remember doing Google searches and we found a photo of him, another photo of him, and he was doing some sort of large crossword puzzle and it was in one of the tucson newspapers he was like doing this large crossword puzzle that was like the size of a wall and you could buy the photo like you know like sometimes like in in um newspapers local newspapers you can buy the photo i think that's it yep Mm -hmm. Uh so it we'll put that on our social 
And it was like, oh, that, that, that's the only thing you could really find out about this guy. And as we started to unravel it, we started to realize that this guy was not a conservative freak. He was just a freak. The mugshot's something that got a lot of attention. The New York Times talked about it and featured it on the front page. I can't imagine seeing that face as someone who took the life of someone I cared about. I tried not to look at his mugs i think that the media does such a weird job of promoting the killer and not the victims i mean i think that the victims are always given their due and their stories to a certain degree but i think that what people tend to remember unless they're close to the victims is the killer and so i tried my best not to look although the thing that i found sort of very strange to me is that he had Seemingly in his mugshot or whatever picture they posted, the same look and expression as the guy who shot up the movie theater, I think the, for The Dark Knight, that they had this look in their eyes where they just weren't all there. There was something which I can't imagine how much adrenaline and whatever else was running through their bodies and brains after doing something like that. I think it, it must just put, you have to be seemingly in another state of mind to walk into anywhere and just start killing people. That is what weirdly always struck me, is that they seem to have the same expression on their face. So the way that we start seeing this guy being portrayed in the media, everything kind of gets thrown out the window with how crazy he looks, because he really does look intensely scary. He's in a state of psychosis. Yeah. Yeah. And just that smile is a smile of imagine that's that's the last face that you see. Oh my God. And that's something out of a nightmare. Mm-hmm. And, you know, being a news person at the time, I was part of the problem because I was just like, I got to get the name, got to figure out what, if this is politically motivated and then searching for that. And I'm always the person that says, you know what, let's not give any of these people um, any kind of accolades or highlights um, any of the school shooters or anything, let's just call them shooter A, shooter B, shooter C, shooter 128, shooter 134 or whatever, and just take it from there. But when you're working in the news, people want to know, you know, they want a and it's, they want a narrative. They want to know why. And with this guy, it's that he was, he was messed up in the head. Well, you know where people got really upset at the attention the perpetrator was getting, uh, Timothy McVeigh people, when he did the Oklahoma city bombing, yeah. People were outraged because he was trying to be a martyr. Yeah. And even um, in the days leading up to his execution, all the news stations were trying not to cover him at all because he had intentionally starved himself to make himself look skinnier. And his execution was the first ever televised. It was closed circuit, but they allowed, because he was executed in Indiana, but 250 people were allowed to watch. Why is the perpetrator getting all this attention? He killed so many people. I mean, all of true crime is trying to put order out of chaos and it's all trying to get an explanation for why this happened and then for uh setting everything right at the end of the day so you want to know it's it's easier for you to figure out oh that person was crazy as long as i stay away from crazy people i should be okay and it's the, the problem is is that there's a crazy person around every corner but anyways back to our story another thing i did read on the heels of our perpetrator's arrest here I learned that the neighbor of the parents, and he lived with his parents, he was 22, told them when they got home from shopping about what had happened. And they just instantly started crying. 
they burst into tears. They sequestered themselves into their home and they were inconsolable. And it's just one of these things where they blame themselves, you know, for, for whatever happened. But anyways, that's just a side note. The preliminary investigation revealed the movements of the shooter. I mean, should I, I hate saying his name. Let's just call him the shooter. So the preliminary investigation revealed the movements of the shooter the evening before the attack. And he essentially climbed out of his Chevy Nova, entered a drugstore, headed for the photo counter, and passed the cashier a roll of 35 millimeter film. And he was going to come back in an hour and get these photos developed. So he got back in his Nova and he drived back into traffic and headed into a Circle K parking lot, right where the attack occurred. He was basically buying cigarettes and beer. And like he was looked unassuming. He looked like a dumb 22 year old buying this shit. Then he went over to the Motel 6 and got a room for 4371, got internet service and a king size bed. He got in his bed and he called his friend Bryce Tierney, somebody he hadn't seen in months. And he didn't answer the phone. So the shooter left him a message Hey, it's me, the shooter. We've had some good times. Peace out. 20 minutes later, he returned to Walgreens and retrieved his photos. And in some of them, he was wearing a thong. So we'll have to get to that at some point. Another hour and a half passed. He logged into his MySpace page and posted a message. Goodbye. Dear friends, please don't be mad at me. Then his, the MySpace page showed a close-up photo of a handgun sitting atop a document titled United States History. Then he passed out in his Motel 6 king-size bed. But, okay, so I was watching some videos about him today. He also posted this um, video on MySpace. His favorite song was Let the Bodies Hit the Floor. You know that song? No. Yeah, Let the Bodies Hit the Floor. Let the, mm-hmm. Let the Bodies Hit the Floor was his favorite song. Which I and, I, and did he play it a lot? It was just posted on his MySpace. Remember the, um, the shooter at Virginia Tech? Mm-hmm. His favorite song was Collective Soul Shine. Mm-hmm. And he apparently played it like on a loop. God, imagine what these bands feel like. Well, you have, the, I mean, you have these songs that, you know, Helter Skelter, you can't think of Helter Skelter without thinking of Charles Manson now, mm-hmm. even though it's an amazing song. Totally. So I walked you through before that lovely deviation, what he did the night before. What did he do in the hours before? At 7.04, the shooter went to a Walmart to purchase ammo, but he left the store after a clerk refused to sell to him. And the clerk later claimed that he seemed, quote unquote, off. So he went to another nearby Walmart and he was sold the ammunition that he would use to carry out the attack. He purchased the 9mm Glock pistol that he used in the shooting from a sportsman's warehouse in Tucson on November 30th, 2010. And after he left the Walmart, he was stopped by an Arizona Game and Fish Department officer at 7.34 a.m. for running a red light. But once the officer determined there was no outstanding warrants for him, he was allowed to proceed to his destination with a warning to drive carefully. Isn't that bananas? No, this is it's really interesting. First of all, you go to a Walmart and somebody refuses to sell you ammo. I love it. That clerk, but like that, yeah. Good for that guy. Because you know what? That guy was the guy in the mugshot, like ready to do it. Yeah. So like, don't sell those guys who look f-ing trigger happy, smiley weird when they're buying ammo. Don't sell it to them. You know, there's the story Ooh. of the, the guy that was taking the tickets right at the gate in Maine for on 9-11. And remember, a couple of the guys were in Maine. A couple of those um, uh, terrorists were in Maine. And then they flew to Boston. Then that's where they hijacked the planes. Mm-hmm. And... He actually saw the guy and said to himself, if this guy doesn't look like a terrorist, I don't know what does. And he was waiting there and the guy's paperwork wasn't quite right. And then he thought to himself, it's like, you know what? This guy's probably a businessman. I'm going to get in trouble. And then he let him on the plane. 
And that was Muhammad Atta. Civil rights, everyone deserves them. Sometimes your gut goes against it. How do you know? Well, it's not just civil rights. It's just like, I mean, imagine Walmart. Okay, Walmart won't sell ammo to somebody and then it becomes a whole I'm talking about the terrorist. Yeah, of course. He didn't do anything wrong. You should Mm -hmm. let him on the plane. He just looks suspicious. Yeah, and and that's the thing that, so the, the ironic thing about this and these two conversations is that liberals would have been upset about that. Conservatives would have been upset about him yeah. not being sold the ammo. So it's it's but these are two people that were following their gut. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And one of them did and one of them didn't. But the next person did. All right. Well, this won't Walmart won't sell it to me. So go to the next and then and you, you go know, to the next. You know, and then there's a guy who wouldn't sell it, who's perceptive and. The other not, guy probably didn't even look at him in the eye. He's probably just like, whatever. This guy just went down autopilot. The guy who didn't sell it understands the magnitude of what he's selling. And yeah. the other guy was like, meh, whatever, take it. Right. Who cares? Not, you know, because he's not breaking the law. He didn't do anything wrong by selling it to him either. No. And then he gets pulled over oh, by this yeah. Arizona Game and Fish uh, Department officer for running a red light, doesn't get a ticket, and just l- lets out with a warning. Isn't it? Okay, but this is another thing like, where it's like every little decision that you make leads to something else and, and that's the scare the butterfly scary it is the butterfly effect and it's like also that officer didn't do anything wrong either but no, you know what i mean but most people would be like i'm i'm making that guy's day i'm letting him off yeah and most people doing be- him a favor yes he you- must have been able to turn off the crazy a little bit well they said in his first court appearance i mean we already know he's a shooter at this point so i can say this that he was really polite i don't know guys when you hear about the events in the his months leading up to what happened there were a million people who could have intervened it's no one person's fault you can't be arrested for thoughts yeah and it's this incredible problem where there's no uh jurisdictional force that can intercept this kind of stuff because there's no law that's broken before He was allowed to proceed to his destination with a warning to drive carefully, but for whatever reason, he decides he's not going to drive his car to this Gabrielle Giffords mini rally. He ditches his car and then takes a taxi to the Safeway supermarket. After the shooting occurred, the nation kind of paused for a second. It's like what Billy was saying, where things were really hot as it was, and then the lives of all these innocent people were lost, and the media was really, really paying attention to what was going on. The entire country was impacted. The White House held a huge press event and conducted a televised moment of silence across the nation. The Obamas flew to Tucson to visit the victims' families, condemn the shooter's behavior, of course, and attend a memorial service that was held for all of the murdered victims. People were speaking out, not just from around the world, but from space, too. Gifford's brother-in-law was in space, stationed at the International Space Station. He called in and spoke to the news after he was alerted about the attempted assassination of his sister-in-law. This is Houston. Please call station for a voice check. Station, this is Houston. Go ahead. Houston, uh, take some time this morning to recognize the moment of silence in honor of the victims of the Tucson shooting tragedy. First of all, I'd like to say words. We have a unique vantage point here aboard the International Space Station. As I look out, window, I see a very beautiful planet that seems very inviting and peaceful. Unfortunately, it is not. These days, we're constantly reminded of the unspeakable acts of violence and damage we can inflict upon one another, not just with our actions, but also with our irresponsible words. We're better than this. 
That's and that, that's the that's the we can do better. I'm in space. I'm in space right now. Mm-hmm. We can put you know it's one of the things I always used to say at work, which is kind of a dicky thing to say, but it's like we can put a man on the moon, but we can't do this. I would always yeah. say that, mm-hmm. and it's like, but it's true. I'm in space right now. Look at what we've done as a people, and yet all these people, including a nine year old girl, were just murdered, right, senselessly right. for we no reason at all. It's crazy. We've covered the logistics. We've covered the how. Let's get into the why. Here's some audio from one of the shooter's high school friends talking about this bizarre occurrence, like which may have made Gabrielle Giffords the target in the first place. And it's it's very interesting. As I knew him more and more after high school, he got a little bit more odd. I mean, he was obsessed with the 2012 prophecy. I mean, he met Gabrielle Giffords once in 07 and told me he asked her some question that made absolutely no sense to me. But he said, I can't believe she doesn't understand it. Politicians just don't get it. Yeah, so he had attended Gifford's August 25th, 2007 event when she did not, in his view, sufficiently answer his question. And his question was this, what is government if words have no meaning? Loeffner gave Giffords a form letter which thanked him for attending the 2007 event, and he kept it in the same box as an envelope which was scrawled with phrases like die bitch and assassination plans have been made. So two former friends later told New York times that Lofner's anger would also quote, well up at the sight of president George W. Bush or in discussing what he considered to be the nefarious designs of government. I wish I had the time to be this angry about something. It's what a waste beyond what a waste of life. Yeah. Oh, there's, this is mental issues right here. Mm -hmm. You know, this is, he's going, He's, he's talking about conspiracy theories. He's talking about, I mean, what a question. To, what is government if words have no meaning? What kind of weird riddle conspiracy How, riddle no, hippie what shit right is that? answer could she have answered? Yeah. I know. What that, that's like some like intangible weird question. Yeah, there really is no right There's answer. There's no right answer. And he, so he had a strong dislike for Giffords and for women and for government in general. Oh, seems like a winner. And according to a former friend who Loftner called the night before the shooting, Bryce Tierney, who didn't answer the phone, he expressed this long-standing dislike for Gabrielle Giffords. And again, it's just like this long-standing dislike for a congresswoman. It's yeah, and she's it's she doesn't have she has very little power over you. Yeah, it's such a random person. It's not even like when you see the guy that shot up the 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 city council meeting who could have taken away something from him. This is a congressperson. They're going to vote and that's it, you know. Mm-hmm. He recalled that Lofter had often said that women should not be uh holding positions of power. And he repeatedly derided Giffords as being a fake. I remember exactly when the news started talking about the fact that he was angry at Gabby for her opinions on guns and gun controls and just as a politician in general. There were a lot of things being thrown around. I don't think people thought it would be taken that far, but there were senators faces with bullseye on bullseyes on them if they were pro-gun control and it just sort of was this people were just so angry and i don't really know how shooting somebody and a bunch of other people promotes your idea that guns don't need gun control i'm not quite sure how that logic went through his head i don't like saying his name it just sort of was very confusing to me that someone thought this was the way to get people to stop talking about gun control. 
So what's really interesting is that some people from the shooter's past was shocked at hearing about what he had done, saying they couldn't imagine he could be violent. So how did he get to this point? So per usual, we have to go back to see how this happened in his life and what the turning point was. And it does seem based on his history that he was healthy at some point. At a different point, there was a glaring shift in his personality. And apparently in the months leading up to the shooting, Lofner's parents became increasingly alarmed with their son's behavior. And at one point, they resorted to actually disabling his car every night in order to keep him home. And his father once confiscated his shotgun and both parents urged him to get help. Lofner also became obsessed with controlling what he perceived to be lucid dreams he was having. And this, this is another incredible question where it's like, he's 22. How responsible are the parents? I mean, you can't get someone committed. I mean, tw- it's really hard as an adult. It's really hard being a parent and getting kids to do anything. Yeah, but, a normal kid. But at some point, you, you hope you hope you can you're gonna you're gonna notice things. But it is incredibly tough. A nor- even a normal kid, yeah. Well, it, it's like all those things are in retrospect, right? Too, where course. it's like, what's the difference between a kid being obsessed with violent video games, yeah, and having to be worried about it, or kid kind being- of like a loner, sort of a kid exactly. that has mild depression or whatever, and then that turning into something like this, where it's like obviously there are red flags, but how are you supposed to know whether you're supposed to act on it? You know, and him being obsessed with lucid dreams is really interesting because. You know, the idea of lucid dreams is that you can become conscious in your dreams and you can direct your dreams. You can start flying. You can have sex with anybody. You can do whatever you want. Uh, I have sex in my lucid dreams. Yeah, you do. Have you ever had a lucid dream? Oh, yeah. I always end up having sex in my lucid dreams. Those are fun. Yeah. I fly. One time I turn into Sonic the Hedgehog. It's so rare, though. And then I usually have sex. Yeah. Well, I, I studied this in, in college. I found it interesting. How many years of and- college did you go to? <laughs> it's like, I uh, studied hundreds of years. I studied, and- fring- what is it? Fringe religious, religious groups? New religious movements. New religious okay. movements. I studied this. I studied... Um, well, this is this is along the same lines. But I, but I remember a... Psychology? Lucid dreams Psychology. Yeah, it was, it was a class. It was a, a behavioral psychology So you took class. one class. It was one class. Yeah, I didn't study it. Study. I didn't write, I, I didn't write a thesis dreaming. in it. But I read a, I actually, studied, studied. I have a lucid dreaming book right there. But I, remem- I studied just as much as Billy did because I read a book. <laughs> but, I, but I remember my, my professor saying, don't mess with lucid dreaming. It screws you up because you need your dreams. You need your dreams in order to reset yourself and to, mm-hmm. to, to go over things to purge that are, are, are purging, anxieties, all that stuff. And uh, we, we actually did this experiment. This is such an aside. I'm sorry, guys. But no, we, did this, we did this experiment where we all tried four people in this group tried to meet each other in our dreams. Oh, did you and have sex with one of them? No. Did you do the whole, the practice of lucid dreaming? Yeah. When okay. you had to, you, you, you constantly, when look you're, at your hands. you look at your hands, you look at, uh, a, clock. You look at a clock, you, you look, look at, at right, written you look at written document to see if it's, um, which doesn't Wiggly. work by the way, because yes, I've actually does. been, no, it doesn't. Oh my God. It does. All right, I tell you what, me and you, were going to try to meet in our, in our dreams uh, tonight. No, no. No, no, mine are turning sick. <laughs> oh shit! <laughs> no, I don't want that. No, that's not good at all. It's not real, guys. <laughs> but no, it's it's something that is. I mean, think about it. You could be a superhero for eight hours of your day. I know. I was Sonic the Hedgehog, and you were Sonic the Hedgehog. Who's not quite a superhero, but he's a hero. Yes, he is. He's and, a magical creature. And uh, but I remember my professor saying that I do not mess around with lucid dreams. I think it has to kind of like mess up your association with reality too. Absolutely, because sometimes like, what is like in my mind, I get so f- thinking about that. I'm like, 
are your dreams really reality or, or and are we in like, okay, whatever. But or like, even are I dreaming right now? Yeah. Is this really a dream? And are your dreams actually reality? You never, and you, you never do that. You never think that and said like, wait a minute, I dreaming right now. No, my life is too f-ed up. It's not a dream. It'd be a nightmare. <laughs> I think Alexis thinks she's in a perpetual state. I'm of in health. a dark place. <laughs> it's the wrong time to ask me anything like that. <laughs> Okay, um, <laughs> let's go back new from year, her dark place me. to new this year, horrible story. New you, starting at a low. <laughs> Can only go up from here, Alexis. Thanks, guys. Let's dig in to the shooter's background and see where things went wrong. So, at the time, the 22-year-old shooter was an only child of Randy and Amy Lautner. They are described by a neighbor as a very private family. Amy worked for the city parks department and Randy was a retired gasoline truck driver. So pretty normal family. And while the shooter had friends in high school, neighbors noted that in the following years, he kept more to himself and really spoke to others. So he became more introverted and disassociated from everybody else around. Acquaintances said that the shooter's personality had changed a lot in the years prior to the shooting, a period during which he was also abusing alcohol and drugs. And he had been suspended from Pima community college in September, 2010, because of his bizarre bizarre behavior and disruptions in class and the library. He should know not to disturb the library in the library. So he also attended, uh, so he attended Mountain View High School. He dropped out in 2006, 26. (laughs) I can't wait till 2020 so we can just call it the 20s. The roaring 20s. The roaring 20s. We bring the 20s style back. The 2010 sad times. Uh, Around this time when he was about 18 years old, uh, people noticed a change in his personality. A former girlfriend of Lofner's said she was shocked after hearing of his arrest. I've always known him as the sweet, caring Jared. At some point, Lofner was fired from his job at a Quiznos restaurant with his manager. God, I love Quiznos. Which uh, is really good. There's very few of them left. A lot of them closed. He had undergone a personality transformation. After this, Lofner briefly volunteered at a local animal shelter, walking dogs, but he was eventually asked not to return. The shelter manager later said he was walking dogs in an area we didn't want dogs walked. He didn't understand or comprehend what the supervisor was trying to tell him. He was just resistant to that information. His former classmate and friend Tong Shan stated that her last encounter with Lofter was in October of 2010. After she, after he was suspended and dropped out of college and just before he purchased the semi-automatic handgun he used in the massacre. She said that while he was anti-government, he never appeared violent nor did he mention any plans to buy a gun. So as far as a criminal history, the shooter had two previous offenses. In October of 2007, he was cited in Pima County for possession of drug paraphernalia. In 2008, he was charged after he defaced a street sign in Tucson. The police report noted that he drew a stylized swastika, which the shooter said was a Christian symbol. What did also say it's Buddhist and that it was Jack from the Hindus or something, right? It was Chinese, wasn't it? Hindus. Oh, yeah. Peppa the Frog. You can't use Peppa the Frog. Anymore. I know. Which with the razzle dazzle? Yeah. Why? Because it's it's like a, a white power. Th- yeah. Mo- yeah. White, white it is. Yeah. Yeah. You can't use it anymore. Oh my so, god. So you know that tattoo. You gotta get it. <laughs> Shit. Another tattoo I have to remove. <laughs> Give him the old razzle dazzle. I have so many now that need to go. <laughs> you really do. Every tattoo I get, I have to remove. It's <laughs> such. I I immediately told you after you got that tattoo that it was a bad idea. I knew it was a bad idea as I was doing it, but I couldn't stop. (laughs) (laughs) One of the shooter's high school classmates and his closest friend said that Lofner's life began to unravel as his high school girlfriend broke up with him. 
He began to abuse alcohol and other drugs, including marijuana, cocaine, psychedelic mushrooms, LSD, and salvia, which is legal in I Arizona. Not, it's also legal in LA. Oh, well, weed is, so that makes sense. Salvia is a lot different than weed. Is it worse? Better? Salvia is like psychotropic. It, like, it trips you out for like 15 minutes. It does? And then you're fine. Really? I've never done it, but me either, Billy. I haven't heard about it in like nope. 10 years. Interesting. Not since Miley Cyrus did it. Yep. I think that was actually weed that they were saying was salvia uh, because um, it was legal. legal. Okay, got yeah. it. So after struggling with drugs for more than two years, Loughner gave up alcohol, tobacco, and recreational drugs in late 2008, and he had not used since, according to one of his longtime friends. So Loughner slash the shooter had tried to join the army prior to all of this occurring, and he had been rejected for being unqualified for service in 2008. And according to the military sources, he admitted to marijuana use on numerous occasions during the application process. They're probably just like, why are you telling us this? You yeah. psycho. Because everyone do- has done it, but you're not supposed to tell us. Yeah. <laughs> Obama wouldn't have become president if he had been honest about it. So anyways, he admitted to the marijuana use and he didn't get in the army. And then while he was attending the community college, like we mentioned, he had five contacts with college police for classroom and library disruptions in the span of like six months. And some of his teacher complained to the administration about his disruptions and his behavior and they thought it was a sign of mental illness, and they feared what he might do. Then on September 29th, college police discovered a YouTube video shot by the shooter in which his spoken commentary stated that the college was illegal according to the United States Constitution. He described his school as one of the biggest scams in America. The college decided to suspend Loughner and sent a letter to his parents to consult with them and him together. So that is bananas yeah. <laughs> really Ugh. he's but that's like, the thing you, get a you hobby, see dude. every chance they have someone had yeah. to be like oh my god this guy is in such if they had communicated well again at all. It, it, that's the thing is that nobody's talking to each other yeah. and you see it here but so lofner wanted to come back it, 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 well they told lofner that if he wants to come back to college he needs to resolve his code of conduct violations and obtain a mental health clearance indicating in the opinion of a mental health professional that his presence did not constitute a danger to himself or others. So that's only if he wants to go back to college. So the school, and listen, it's not the school's purview for him being a, a, a an okay person around everybody else, but they're saying if you want to come and step on our grounds, you better be cleared by a psych- psychiatrist. Well, he didn't break a law, so they're or just taking precautions, yeah. which yeah. is commendable. Smart, yeah. But he can go anyplace else, though. So they know this guy's off, but he can go anyplace else. But if they do more, he'd, they'd be violating his civil yeah, rights. I know. Yeah. So they're doing just like, what they can yeah. within the confines of the law. All right. So even more during Loftner's time at Pima, a classmate said she was worried he might commit a school shooting. One of his teachers had claimed a similar suspicion after the Tucson shooting. He never submitted to a mental health evaluation. He did not return to college. Several college classmates recalled an incident in which Loftner during a class discussion, had mocked and laughed at a young woman who was describing her abortion. Oh, my God. One classmate described Loftner's reaction as, quote, wildly inappropriate. He started making comments about terrorism and laughing about killing the baby. The girl was teary-eyed, and he said something about strapping a bomb to the fetus and making a baby bomb out of it. Oh, my God. It's... This is, this is why I... This is a depressing story, but I think it's so important. The signs were there. Yeah. A clerk refused to sell to him. College kicked him out. The parents disabled the car. He'd had 
his classmates saying that they're scared that he was going to do a baby school bomb. shooting. Oh my god, it's insane. The army rejected him. It's bad. But then again, whose jurisdiction is this? Whose responsibility is this? Yeah. To contain this situation because he's an adult. Or it's yeah, or it's like kind of push it away not yeah. my problem. Is it kind of is thing. it enough for the parents to baker act him? And no, it wasn't. Yeah. But it was enough for the parents to disable his car so he can't go anywhere and take away his shotgun. Any of these in an isolated incident, when he didn't get to the army, he probably made something up about it. Mm-hmm. Um, when he didn't, you know, go back to school, he probably made something up about it. It's like no one knows because he's an adult. And it's not like people are communicating. His teachers aren't. Well, that's what I'm saying. Like people are also seeing like little like flashes of these things in different kind of scenarios where it's like and he's justifying them. In I mean, ways. back to like Billy's owl poem where it's like if it's coming from a cool goth kid, like Billy, younger in the 1940s <laughs> when he was born. <laughs> so I bet you guys are wondering what his political views are. So he was registered as an independent and voted such in the years since he was allowed to vote. But he he didn't really he just hated the government. And a friend said that he didn't watch TV, he just disliked the news, he hated politics, he didn't take sides, he wasn't the left, he wasn't the right. Another classmate said prior to his personality transformation that he was very, very liberal. And he had all these online writings and the tone shifted to be almost exclusively conservative and anti-government. For instance, in the belief that the government used to control the language of grammar to brainwash people, the notion that government was creating infinite currency without the backing of gold and silver, and the assertion that NASA was faking space flights. Okay. So, I mean, but this is just like a real indication of true mental illness. Like, yeah, he had this yeah. weird shift. Well, he doesn't even go to being conservative. He goes to being just hating that everything. Shit. Yeah. So, and of course, he dives deep into conspiracy theories. One of his friends noted that conspiracy theories had a huge effect on him. He was a member of the message board above Top Secret, which discusses conspiracy theories. And a bunch of members on the, the site did not respond warmly to his posts uh, he adopted all these conspiracy theories about 9-11, New World Order, and believed in a 2012 apocalypse, among other controversial viewpoints. Um, reports appearing after the shooting noted similarities between the statements made by Lautner and those publicized by the far-right conspiracy theorist David Wynn Miller. We're all trying to figure out and create order out of this chaos. Why did this guy do this? So you're looking at his politics. No, he's not a big conservative. Then you look at his religion, and some journalists were speculating that maybe he was anti-Semitic because he shot a representative who was Jewish. But it seems like, looking into his background, he just had this more sort of generalized dislike of religion. He has been described as an anti-theist by those who knew him, and he declined to state his religion in his army application. After his arrest, he was charged in federal court with one count of attempted assassination of a member of Congress, Two counts of murder of a federal employee, uh, which was Judge Roll, and two counts of attempting to murder a federal employee based on his injury of two Giffords aides. He was indicted for all of the murders, and he was held without bail in the Federal Correctional Institute in Phoenix. But honestly, you couldn't count all of the counts he was facing with all of the injuries that he inflicted on the other 13 people who were injured. Just, it's unbelievable all the things he was facing. He was held without bail in the Federal Correctional Institute at Phoenix, and he was kept isolated from other inmates 23 hours a day and allowed out of his cell for just one hour a day to shower and exercise. 
And on February 24th, 2011, he was transferred to the United States Penitentiary in Tucson. After his arrest, two medical evaluations diagnosed him with paranoid schizophrenia and ruled him incompetent to stand trial. He was placed on medication while in jail as part of his treatment, and he was again judged incompetent in May of 2012. On November 8th, 2012, Loeffner appeared for sentencing with several of his victims as well as relatives of those killed in attendance. Judge Byrne sentenced Loeffner to seven consecutive life terms plus 140 years in prison without parole. What's really sad is that Gabrielle Giffords was never able to return to her political career. Uh, It took her a really long time to recover, and she never fully did. She was 40 when this happened, so she was still relatively young, so it's a huge shame. Last I heard, she was hoping to return to politics one day, but has not. It's just really sad. And as far as the weeks after the shooting, um, the Gabe Zimmerman Memorial Scholarship was established by two UC Santa Cruz graduates that were really moved by the tragedy. And there was a huge event, uh, a fundraising event, where all these politicians and people with a lot of notoriety attended to help raise money for the scholarship fund. Yeah. And so, so enough about this shooter. Let's hear about the hero. This is one of those. It's like, you want to punch yourself in the face when you listen to it. Cause there were so many opportunities mm-hmm. to stop it. Yeah. And we, and we want to figure out what happened, but, and we want to figure out how to stop it. But the problem is this, there are people that are mentally unhinged and they have easy access to firearms. Yep. And he's an adult. That's it. He's an adult. That's he literally a, it. That's he, it right there. Back to, like, what Billy said, the hero. I think everybody that knew Gabe will have their own versions of him. I think it's the little moments of, like, when we waited online for all day with our friend to go to the Star Wars movie, that he would do that, that he would go wait in line with you all day to watch a movie, and that he was the kind of person, clearly, who wouldn't leave anybody behind. And he died trying to make sure that nobody was left behind. And I think that he died a hero. And I think that that's how I would like people to remember him. I think about death a lot, probably more than than most people do. I think we live in a time where any place can be a place of terror, and I don't let it control my life. I don't let it stop me from doing the things that I want to do. And it's more so motivational. I get to now do things that Gabe isn't able to do. So if I get to be a little bit more political, or if I get to do something to help, I, I walked in the the gun march and my friend made me a shirt with his name on it that said Tucson on it and I think that lending my voice to things that I maybe wouldn't necessarily have lent my voice to but things that I think he would have spoken up for you know they always say don't let the fe- don't let them win if you you know if the fear fear wins then they win and and I think that it's sort of a little cheesy but it but it's true and I'm afraid of just about everything but I won't let anything got me, um, including that fear. So yeah, maybe I'll walk into a place and I'll clock where all my exits are, or I'll think about, you know, where I'm going to go to if something happens or where I want to sit in case something happens. And, And it's sad that we live in a world like that. But I also think it's very unlikely that it will happen to you or me or anybody. They don't happen that often they're incredibly sad and tragic when they do nobody really thinks twice about getting into their car every day but people are afraid on airplanes but you're more likely to die driving to the airport than you are on an airplane you have no control of the the people around you so 
I just try not to let it win. Planning exit routes is the move. essential. You always have to do that. Okay, I always well, tell my kids Jacqueline to do that. Jacqueline won't let me sit facing the door. <laughs> we go to dinner. She's like, I, I have, have to do that for my anxiety, sh- though. No, but also for the murderers. I know, but oh. I don't think... Th- mine is literally just I feel claustrophobic if I'm facing no, the No, particularly when you're at a concert, when you're at a show. Oh, yeah. When you're in like a know, large... And, and if something happens, don't run to the entrance. Run. There's always going to be other exits there. It, that's what happened at the... Um, the station fire, everybody ran towards the entrance. That's what a lot of people do. That's the way they came in. It's a natural reaction. Always see your outs. And this is this is when you're walking. Always see where, what your outs are, where you're going to go. The ironic thing about her saying that is that her friend was safe. Yeah. And, and he, he went and ran towards it. So. And um, political positions are those of public service. And I think that, at least as far as his character, as far as what she's explained, it really does embody that. And it's really sweet. And it's really sad that his career was ended at 30. Yeah. Cause you can only imagine what he could have done. So Elizabeth, we thank you so much for sharing this with us. It's an incredible story and a teaching moment and all the reasons why we do this podcast. Right. And if you guys have a first degree connection to a murder or other stranger than fiction story, please write us hello at the first degree podcast.com. The first degree podcast.com. We have a submissions form or DM us on Instagram at Alexis Linkletter at Billy Jensen at Jack Fanick at the first degree. Please rate and review our podcast on Apple Podcasts. Five stars only. Please. Five stars only. No negative reviews. Just kidding. You can talk about Alexis's breathing if you want. On that note, <laughs> keep your friends close, but not that close. Happy Dragon Appreciation Day. Happy Nothing Day. <laughs>